0: It's Maddie and good morning. It's good to see you. Glad you're here. I uh, did want to say a special welcome to Jacob and Allison's family, friends that are here, supporting. Glad y'all are here this morning. Uh, but if you're a first-time guest, we are really glad you're here. And uh, if I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you after the service. I uh, try, try to go out by the tent to say hello to people, so stop by uh, after the service. Uh, we, this morning, are in our second week of a sermon series that we've titled Living the Resurrection Life. And this is a series that we are in during the Eastertide season. We're looking at different portions of the book of Acts together. And we've been saying over the past few weeks that Easter was not just a one-day event, but rather it was the climax of the gospel story, that everything after that first Easter morning was and is the resolution of the gospel story. Salvation is accomplished and made visible because of Christ's triumphal resurrection power. And we live in light of this resurrection. So this morning we're going to look at Jesus' power to, to change and transform lives. We will read perhaps the most remarkable testimony of the Lord Jesus bringing about dramatic change in a person's life. Saul, a persecutor of the church, will become Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. He is changed from one who is standing at the feet of a Christian named Stephen just a few chapters earlier in the book of Acts, watching as Stephen is stoned to death for being a Christian, and he will be changed into a man who will write the majority of the New Testament, a man who would take the gospel to the cities and countries where Christ had never been preached. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to 19. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to give attention for the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord... I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Well, God, I I ask that you would allow the scales to fall from our eyes you'd allow the the callousness to fall from our hearts that you might speak to us for we are listening and we need to encounter you the living Christ this morning through your word and so I pray that the words of my mouth the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing and because you have been with us and you have spoken we might be changed and transformed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Try to imagine with me, though I I know it's difficult, that Vladimir Putin holds a press conference this afternoon to announce that he has decided to step down as Russia's president and that he now has a newfound passion to work for world peace. Uh, that seems unfathomable, unimaginable. Maybe you would say, Daniel, that's a little too dramatic. But the story we just read in Acts chapter 9 was just as unimaginable. It might be the greatest conversion story we have recorded in all of the Bible. Did you catch how Luke, the author of Acts, describes Saul in verse 1? Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He's depicted as this fire-breathing dragon set on causing as much danger and harm to the followers of Jesus as possible. Like Putin to much of the world, Saul was public enemy number one toward Christ's followers. He's been persecuting the church, and he goes to the high priest for a letter that would enable him to find any Christian, man or woman, bring them back to Jerusalem so he could persecute them. But by the end of our passage, he's a follower of Jesus, and he's sent out on God's mission to the whole world. So this morning, I want us to look at conversion, dramatic life change in and through Jesus. I want us to look at how change happens and the results of it happening. Now, before we dig in, I have to make a remark. Saul's conversion is not a prototype for everyone's conversion. It's not intended to serve as a pattern for everybody's conversion. Everyone has their own story. There is no guilt, shame, nor pride that should ever be felt in telling your story. Because what matters is that God has changed your life. And that God is continuing to change your life. What matters is that there was, at one point, you were converted. Capital C, converted. A once and for all coming to faith in Christ. And, and what matters is that you are in a living relationship with God who is converting, lowercase c, you over and over, day by day, changing your life. And so I have four points, quick points. I know you're like, four, what? We normally do two or three, four. I've got four. They're going to be quick. And for ease of memory, God, Jesus, church mission. Now, four points. God, Jesus, church and mission and how change happens and the result of it happening so let's look first at God God works and prepares the way for conversion for change Saul's whole story is a story of God God is the one leading and directing every single one of these events God blinds Saul verse 3 a light flashes around him in verse 9 for three days Saul was without sight he neither ate nor drank The mighty, powerful Saul, persecutor of Christians, out of nowhere is rendered helpless. Verse 8 tells us that Saul, mighty Saul, is led by the hand. So the way God works and prepares someone for change and transformation is by getting them to a place where they realize they cannot live life based on their own strength and ability. God works and prepares a person by making them needy. I mean, Alcoholics Anonymous, it's known for talking about the must of hitting rock bottom. One must hit bottom before they're ready for real change. And hitting bottom is when you finally get to the end of yourself, and you're rendered helpless and powerless, and you cry out for help. Saul hits bottom, and he cries out. And we can be led to hitting bottom by God. God can lead us to rock bottom in many different ways. He can he can use a, a, a turbulent marriage. He can use a, a scary diagnosis. He can use difficult friendships. A wayward child, longings unmet, plans thwarted, the struggle of loneliness or anxiety. And all of these ways that are painful, God can use to to lead us to a place of feeling our neediness, where we're rendered helpless so that we then can turn and be met by God. And and it's in that place where we're we're ready to hear God call our name and draw us to himself and change us. That's exactly what happens for Saul in verse 4. God speaks his name. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This double calling of Saul's name, that's a unique thing in Scripture. It doesn't happen often. Fifteen times in in the Bible, Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. Moses, Moses, Samuel, Samuel, here, Saul, Saul, and every time it's God intimately and very personally addressing a person. God is lovingly calling Saul out, drawing him to himself so that he can change his life. God not only speaks to Saul, he, he also speaks to Ananias, and he tells Ananias to go to Saul so that he might tell Saul about the gospel of Jesus Christ and that he might restore Saul's sight. Ananias, this, this person who we know very little about, and after this passage is not mentioned again, and, and this is what I love about that is that God uses a no-name follower of Jesus to convert one of the most notorious enemies of Christ. God works in ways we would never imagine and through people we would never expect. And I hope that encourages you to be open. To how God is at work in your life and the people he might use in your life. And I hope it makes you hopeful that God will use you in other people's lives. The last thing I want to point out about God being the one at work preparing the way for change is that nothing is impossible with God. Luke tells us about Saul's conversion in a larger context of of a conversion narrative in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8 through Acts chapter 10 multiple conversion stories happening. In Acts chapter 8, there's the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. And in that conversion story, the Ethiopian eunuch is seeking God, reading scripture, looking for answers, and, and then God brings Philip right along to explain the gospel, and the eunuch is baptized. God put Philip at the right place at the right time to be a vessel to someone who was very ripe to hear the gospel of Jesus. And sometimes, this is how God works. And other times, God works like he does with Saul, a man not seeking God, public enemy number one for Christians, a man who hates Jesus and hates Christianity, yet God. God works and prepares Saul to hear the gospel of Jesus and be transformed forever. Do you believe, brothers and sisters, that God can do the impossible? It's not hyper spiritual speak. Do you believe God can do the impossible in your life and in the life of other lives of other people? God changed Saul into Paul. God can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. God is at work. The second point on the how we are changed is Jesus. Jesus at the center. Have you ever wondered why Saul was so opposed to Jesus? What made him so angry? Why did he hate Christianity so much? Why was he this fire-breathing dragon? Well, Saul was part of the strictest sect of the Pharisees. Philippians chapter 3 lets us in on Paul's pedigree. He was circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee. He knew it backward and forward. Saul was extremely educated intelligent, very biblically literate. He knew the Old Testament inside and out, which means he would have known Deuteronomy chapter 21, which says that everyone who is everyone who's hung upon a tree is cursed. So in Saul's mind, there's no way Jesus could be the Messiah. He's obviously cursed. And so he's opposed to Jesus. He's opposed to Christianity, but then God speaks to Saul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul replies in verse 5, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Saul encounters Jesus and then has three days as a blind man to reflect on his encounter with Jesus. Now, I know I just gave you a lot of context, but can you imagine those three days? This highly intelligent, educated, literate Bible scholar running the whole Old Testament through his head. But now, he's encountered the risen Christ. And now he's running it through the grid of Jesus. And much like the two men on the road to Damascus, Saul is realizing how the whole Old Testament is about Jesus. And he begins to see everything through the lens of Christ, and his mind and his heart are blown wide open. Have you ever seen the old classic Christmas movie, the Christmas story. If you haven't, you don't ever watch TBS during Christmas season. It's all like on for months uh, leading up. I watch it every year. Uh, and since I've been a, a little kid, I will watch at least parts of it during Christmas season. Uh, and in the, in the movie, Ralphie, every night, he listens to the radio show Little Orphan Annie. And there's, there's a code that they give out, but you have to have the decoder. In order to understand the secret message that's being shared, it was the key to unlocking the nightly message. Jesus Christ is the key to unlocking what the whole Bible is about. And for Saul, the God he had followed, studied, prayed to, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, did do what he said he would do. Redemption and salvation was secured, but it was in a shocking and scandalous way. It was through the suffering Son of God on a cross. And Jesus was the key that opened up a whole new way of thinking and understanding the, uh, of the Bible and of the whole world. And in Jesus, Saul got the heart of Christianity. That to be a Christian means you place your trust in Christ. And as you trust Jesus, you are declared in Christ. You're in Jesus. When I was a senior at at Auburn University, I was a part of a leadership group of 10 guys, and we got our hands on the suit of our university's mascot. I've told this story years ago maybe. But at Auburn University, Aubie, the mascot, is famous. And so one night, we all decided I would put on the Aubie suit and go out onto campus and visit the dorms and bring joy to all the people on the campus. And people came running up to me. They wanted to to take pictures with Aubie. They wanted to dance with Aubie. It felt good to be Aubie for one night because for one night, I was hidden. For one night, I was loved. For one night, I was safe and secure because everybody at Auburn loves Aubie. To be a Christian is so much more than masquerading in a false identity like Aubie. It is to be in Christ, to be hidden in Jesus, which means he covers your sin, he covers your shame, he covers your weakness. You are alive in him, moving through the world clothed in all of his benefits and in all of his blessings. You are in Christ. There are many reasons eight years ago we settled on the name Christ Central Church, But the main reason is that we hold firmly to this reality that Christ is the center of all things. That Jesus is the key that unlocks life with God. Christianity is not that we do something, but that Christ did something. And so let me say this. You you can waver, and as Christians, we can waver on many issues of faith. But to be a Christian... We cannot waver on Jesus being the center. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I've I've talked about how change happens. God prepares the way. Jesus is at the center. My last two points, church and mission, are the results of our life being changed by God. So we participate in church and we participate in mission. Let's look thirdly at the church, participation in the church. Do you notice... Now, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But Saul's persecuting Christians, right? But Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus so identifies with his people, with his church, that anyone who persecutes his people persecutes Jesus. And look at verse 18. It says, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained sight, rose, and was baptized. Saul was baptized. We, we just saw Bo Martin get baptized. Baptism, is, it's a sign of being set apart into this visible community, the church. True conversion means entrance into the community of believers. Change happens in the context of this community. So hear this. One cannot have Christ and not have his church. You cannot have Jesus and not be a part of his community. As Carl Ellis says, there is a grammatical change that takes place when Christ changes your life. It's no longer I, but we. So are you participating in the church? One way you you do this is in baptism. Have Have you been baptized? If not, and you're interested, we would love to to talk with you about being baptized into the body of Christ. Another way that I would encourage you to participate in the life of the church is through membership, to join a local church. It doesn't have to be Christ Central Church. We prayed for Vintage. There are many great churches in our city, but join and be a part of of a church. We, We are having a new members class in May. We would love for you to come to that, but I would encourage you to be a part of a local body. Participate. In things beyond just Sunday morning, city groups, Bible studies, we've got to live life in the context of community because one result of Jesus changing your life is grammatical. It's no longer I, it's we. We're part of a larger community. My last point as a result of God changing our life is that we participate in God's mission. We participate in God's mission. I, I love Ananias in our passage. The Lord calls out to Ananias. This is Ananias He says here I am Lord And the Lord says rise and go to the street Called straight and look for a man Named Saul And Ananias nervous and fearful Understandably questions God You sure you mean Saul The one who Does evil to your saints You sure you don't want me to do Something else or go somewhere Else or spend time with Another person and God says Go And Ananias goes. And the Lord uses the willingness of Ananias to convert the most notorious enemy of Jesus. So let me encourage all of us. You might wonder and doubt that God could ever use you. You might fear you don't have enough knowledge of the Bible. You're not prepared enough. But if you are faithful when God calls, when God asks, if you're available when God says go, and if you're humble to rely upon him, God will use you in ways you've never expected. RC Sproul said everybody loves the call of Jesus to come. Come all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest, but many resist the call to go. But when Jesus changes your life, you want to participate with him in his mission. You will go wherever he says go, you will follow him wherever he says follow. It's not picking and choosing what you want to give him. It's complete surrender. It's agreement to be on his mission, it it means thinking about everything in your life, your job, your money, your children, where you live, and asking Jesus, Jesus, what do you want me to do as a job? Jesus, how do you want me to spend my money? How should I raise my children? Where should I live? And you ask these questions in light of participating in God's mission to the world. God, how, how do you want me to participate with you and what you're doing in the world through every area of my life? God not only calls Ananias to go, but he calls Saul to go, to go to the Gentiles, to go to the nations and to proclaim Christ. And Saul turned Paul would spend the rest of his life proclaiming Christ to those who had never heard the name of Jesus. He's changed from one who would do harm to Christ to one who's willing to do anything for Christ. Now, when I was in college, God was at work in dramatic ways in my life. A lot of transformation taking place through a campus ministry at Auburn. And and if all this was happening, I had a faulty view of God in the world as a 19-year-old. I had this view that if you really trusted Jesus, you would go overseas as a missionary. And that if you kind of trusted Jesus, you might work in vocational ministry stateside. And if you barely trusted Jesus you'd go into some secular field and die like a slow death of boredom following Jesus (laughs) that's a faulty world and life view God's mission is to the whole world and there are no tears within the kingdom of God it's a matter of where God calls you and the question is are you participating with him on his mission you're not a top-tier Christian if you go to the Middle East as a missionary versus call to work in a secular job stateside, you're not a top-tier Christian because you participate in a certain nonprofit. You're not a top-tier Christian because of where you live or where your children go to school. The most important thing is, has God called you there? And are you living with his mission in mind? Are you proclaiming Christ in your job, on your street, in your relationships? As a church, we need people all over in different jobs, investing in different parts of our city, living north, south, east, west. The question is, are we participating with God where he's placed us? So let me blow up two assumptions about calling. Some of you need to hear that God's call is not always the hard road. The hardest is not always the right path. Many of you need to hear that God's call is not always the easiest road. It's not promised with comfort and ease. For the one thing we see in Saul's call, verse 16, is that he would suffer. The road of the Christian, the call of the Christian is marked with suffering and hardship because we live in a broken world, in a world that is opposed to Christ, and it will be hard. But Jesus goes with us. And as we've seen in Acts chapter 9, God is at work This must be our mantra. God is at work in and through us. Nothing is impossible with God. He is able to change the most notorious of enemies. Therefore, let us exalt Jesus. Let us keep Christ at the center of all we do, knowing that God works in and through his church and that he's invited us to participate with him on his mission to the world. He sends us out every week, church, every week after we've gathered to go into every place and space that he has put us and to proclaim Jesus in word and in deed. If God changed Saul into Paul, God can change you and God can change anyone. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would help us to believe the power of the resurrected Christ to transform lives. And I pray that before we ever think about other people that need to be changed, you would would produce and gift us the gift of neediness to see how we need to be changed. And as we are changed, I pray then we could love those who also need the love of Christ. And so, Lord, I thank you uh, that you're at work. And you can do the impossible. God, you can do immeasurably more and measure me more than we can ever ask or imagine. That's in our lives right now. That's through us to the city, through us to the world, because you are faithful, and you are at work. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.